So if you want to go ahead and start turning to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 46, we're going to be there in a couple of minutes. Uh, so over the past year or so, Brenna and I have really come to realize just the importance of prayer um, and spend time praying together most evenings. And often when I'm preaching the next day, Brenna will include, as she prays, and she'll pray that I don't say something stupid. Um, and, <laughs> and so this morning... As I was talking, I was like, Brenna, if I'm up there and my collar is like going crazy, it's driving me crazy this morning, it keeps popping out, and I'm like, if I get up there, don't let me go up there if my collar's messed up. And she's like, I prayed for you not to sound dumb. If you look dumb, it's on you. Like, so that's a great relationship, and she did not tell me until I came up here. Um, so anyways, I sorry, Isaiah chapter 46. If you've been here the last couple weeks, Tanner's been walking through... The series on what he's called like wraparound care, um, that the church is called to, to love and to serve and care for those by like stepping in, wrapping around others, and really just leading one another to Jesus, back to Jesus, is the way, in the way we care for one another. And part of this has been meeting people where they are. Like we don't ask people to change so then we can serve them. We don't ask people to change so we can step in and love. We don't ask people to change before we will wrap around. We talked about that being physically where people are. We talked about like our location here. It wasn't, we want people to change and then we're going to move in. It was, we're going to move in first. It talks about, does we meet people spiritually where they are, in, in sin, in their addiction, in their struggles, in whatever it might be. But we meet people where they are. And again, it's not asking people to change so that we can show them Jesus. It's, it's only through an encounter with Jesus that change is ever going to happen. And like the church, as the church, we've been called and commanded to go out and to lead people to that encounter with Jesus, lead people to a relationship with Jesus, because that's the only way that people are going to change. Like, we get to preach a message that says that Jesus has come to redeem sinners. That Jesus has come for all kinds of different people. That Jesus meets us where we are. So, again, look at Isaiah chapter 46. I had not even turned there after I told you guys to. Isaiah chapter 46. So we've been reading through Isaiah on Sunday nights. And as we read in 46, probably a month ago now, it's been a while, it's, this, this passage has really can, just continued to be in my mind and my heart. Because as we've read through Isaiah, we've continued to see like all, all this judgment, we've continued to see the wickedness of Israel. The, just the, Isaiah continues to say, like, you wicked people, and all these things are happening. There's been all these judgments given to different nations, to Israel, to all these different groups. But then we get to Isaiah chapter 46. We're going to just look at two verses today. It's the last two verses of the chapter. 
Isaiah 46, verses 12 and 13. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And just this context of, of Isaiah chapter 46 is the in the chapter, God was kind of setting himself apart from other gods. As we read through Isaiah, and there was a week where we saw a lot of like Isaiah and God kind of point out the foolishness of other gods. Like, what are they going to do as you make things out of, as you hook your dinner, you're going to go ahead and make your idols too out of the same fire and out of the same, it's just, he continues to kind of set himself apart from the other gods that, that the, these people were considering to be gods. And he says, no, 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 I bring my righteousness near. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. It's just a fact that, that God brought his righteousness, brought salvation to us, that God sent Jesus to us. And I think it's very easy to forget. It's easy to neglect just how badly we needed Jesus to come to us. I've been thinking a lot about the, the makeup of, of our church, and really of any church, um, but I feel like it's more pronounced here. Maybe it's just because of the size or what, but like we have people who from all across just different walks of life, different education backgrounds, different city, state, country backgrounds, different church backgrounds, different employment histories, different socioeconomic status, different... We come from all different places, all different backgrounds. But no matter how different these backgrounds may be, one thing holds true. That God says, I bring my righteousness near. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. Like, how incredible is it that no matter what your background is, no matter what your, 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 your past holds, no matter what your status in this world may be, no matter how great you may feel like your life is, no matter how awful you may feel like things are, no matter how much sin has impacted your past, whether your sin or the sins of others, Jesus meets you where you are. Like the Gospels are full of Jesus coming to people, all kinds of people. And I'm going to talk a lot about this morning. I'm going to kind of bounce all over the place, but of like Jesus coming to different kinds of types of people. And some just different, some situations people might find themselves in. I'm not saying that all of these are directly because of a person's sin. We're going we're to get to that near the end of like Jesus coming for sinners. But that Jesus comes 
to people in all different walks of life. He comes to children. He comes to the disabled. He comes to the poor, the criminal, the oppressed, the outcast, the prostitute, the rich, the righteous, the religious, sorry, not the righteous, the, the religious, the self-righteous. All through Scripture, we see these things. God's heart to meet people where they are and show them what they need most. Because Jesus did not just come as a great teacher or a miracle worker. We've been reading through Matthew with the kids in the evenings, and he's absolutely those two things. He's just a great teacher. He's a miracle worker. We read last night about him healing a paralytic. This guy who couldn't walk, he just said, get up, walk home. Like, Jesus is those things. But he's so much more than that. He came to bring the righteousness of God near. To bring the salvation of God near to us. Not once we cleansed ourselves, not once we made ourselves right, but met us where we are. Again, as, as I look around the room, like I don't even know all of your stories, don't know all of your backgrounds, but what I can say confidently, based on Scripture, based on Isaiah, based on the, the Gospels, based on the entirety of Scripture, is that Jesus came to provide salvation, came to meet you where you are, and to show you what true salvation looks like. So we're going to run through some things. Looking at, you want to go ahead and flip to the New Testament. We're going to spend some time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But looking at Jesus, the, Tanner talked about this in one of the last four weeks. Talked about the Philippians, where Jesus steps out of heaven, like humbled himself, and came to us, set aside glory, set aside all that he had, and became man. And we see all of this through the Gospels of Jesus going to people. So look at Jesus going to the poor. This group of people that may not have much in terms of how the world would define stuff. Maybe very few earthly, quote, blessings. Struggling to get by physically, not having much. But from cover to cover in Scripture, we see God's provision for the poor. Old Testament laws. We see his design, his provision for the poor. As Tanner talked about last week, we see as the church has all things in common. Like meeting one another's needs, coming together so that no one has need. But we also see in the Gospels of Jesus coming to those who are poor and offering them something that the world could not give them. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 2. It'll be up on the screen if I start reading before you get there. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. 
and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Basically, John's disciples come up and say, are you, are you the Christ? Are you the promised one? And Jesus could have very easily said, yes. Could have easily just said, yes. But what does he say? Look, what, what do you see? The deaf are given hearing. The blind are given sight. The dead are raised. The poor hear the, the good news preached to them. And what I hear is like, were the poor the only ones who heard the gospel being preached? No. But he's saying, look at this, this group of people that, that don't have a lot of hope in this world. I'm giving them a hope that goes beyond this world. Like, listen, to look at what they're hearing. Look at the hope that they're being given. Flip to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I was planning to mark all these out, but then I thought I'd flip to them too fast and nobody else would be able to get to them. So, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus, like, reading from the book of Isaiah, which we're going to get to in a couple weeks, probably. It's reading from chapter 61 in Isaiah. But listen to what Jesus says. This is Jesus. He enrolled the scroll and found the, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set, the liber to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, Jesus saying, like, I'm here to preach the good news. I'm here to give those without much worldly hope. I'm here to give them real hope. Then say, I've come to give them earthly riches. I've come to give them abundance in this world. But he says, no, I've come to preach to them good news. Better news than this world can offer. Because Jesus came to save the poor. Who else did Jesus come for? Look at Mark 2. 1 through 12. I told you we're bouncing all over the place. Mark 2. You know, I'm just going to read this whole section. Mark 2, 1 through 12. This is in Jesus. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves and to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, 
take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is one of many examples in Scripture of Jesus coming, interacting with, healing those who the world so easily overlooks. Those who, people probably knew that, oh yeah, he's that guy, the paralytic. I mean, you see that in other places, or they just, people just walk by people like this. Imagine that you're this man in Mark 2. Like you're in a situation that you have very little hope to change. Paralysis, whatever degree this guy suffered from paralysis. Like I don't, I don't know that I can imagine this, to be honest. Like I don't know that I completely get in this place where I can say, yes, I, I can understand this. But his friends bring him to Jesus. And... As I, as I read this this week, I, I couldn't help but think of all that Tanner talked about in the last four weeks, this wraparound care, what the, how the church is to, to, to wrap around people, and what? To, to, to lead them to Jesus, to show them the love of Jesus. Like, is that not what happens here? This guy had no hope. He couldn't get to Jesus. But yet, his friends rallied around him, wrapped around him, carried him to Jesus. They could not save him. But Jesus could. I, I, I think this is the, this great picture of what we talk about with wraparound care, of, of loving people where they are and leading them to an encounter with Jesus who can save, who can heal. But this paralyzed man in this story does not say one word. We don't get his name here. Not one word, but yet Jesus, looking on him with compassion, heals him, forgives him, provided salvation. See, Jesus comes to those who are physically disabled, those who the world so easily overlooks. And now, I mean, we, we talked about this, Tanner talked about this, Tanner prayed this. Like, now, more than ever, I feel like it's important to know that Jesus holds the power over sickness, over disease. Like in a world right now that is so marked by fear, like we have a hope that Jesus holds this power. Like that's something we can be sure of. Sure, we should be wise, but not live in fear. We should use caution, but move forward with confidence that Jesus is bigger, that Jesus is more global, that Jesus is more powerful than any sickness or disease ever could be. And Jesus comes to those who are physically disabled. God comes to those who are suffering. The poor, the physically disabled. Jesus comes for the criminal. 
another kind of person, another group that the world so easily leaves behind. Because in so many ways, the world says that once you have a criminal record, they're just not worth it. Their actions, their past crimes, their past mistakes are now what defines them. Like this goes back to, again, what Tanner talked about over the last couple of weeks. Like with all the struggles of this region, with all the struggles that are present, like there's hundreds and hundreds of people struggling to find rise, struggling to find jobs and, and homes. And for many people, a past, past mistakes, past sin, past mistakes. They may go to prison. They may serve their sentence. But their sentence is far from over once they are released. Because it's nearly impossible to get a driver's license back, to get housing or a job or pass a background check. But in so many ways, these are just left behind. The structures of the world say, we're just going to move on from them because they're not worth it. Turn me to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. Most of you will know this story. But here Jesus is on the way to be crucified. There's if Jesus about to be crucified, two criminals on a criminal on either side. Look at verse 39. This is one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving that due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's like this beautiful picture you see of Jesus innocently being killed for his crimes. Being killed because of the crimes he did not commit. But you have the two guys being crucified for the crimes they did commit. And notice that Jesus doesn't like wipe these this guy's legal record clean. He doesn't say, oh, none of that matters. He doesn't save this guy from his, even his earthly death. But what happened? Jesus provides salvation for this guy who, who in faith says, just, Lord, remember me. You are innocent. And Jesus provides salvation. Though the world had labeled him a sinner, though the world had labeled him as being worthy of death, Jesus provided salvation. See, Jesus came to save criminals. The poor, the disabled, the criminal. (laughs) Jesus clearly comes to save those who the world holds very small regard for. 
But what you see through Scripture is that Jesus also comes for those who, on the outside, look like they have it all together. Think of the rich, those who, who have a lot. I know everyone defines rich and defines poor very differently. And my goal is not to define rich. But all through Scripture, you see people commended for their faith, commended for their following God, and they have a lot of stuff. Job, Abraham, David, Solomon. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So it's, it's not just the possession of stuff. But look at Mark. Mark 10, 17 through 22. We, we looked at this within the last couple of weeks. Of the rich man coming to Jesus. Verse 17 says, and, he, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. This, this passage is often taught in a way that's, that's focused on the, the man's response. The, his unwillingness to let go of possessions. It's, it's taught in a way that's kind of focused on this, this man's response to Jesus. But look at verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. And then called him and said, Come, follow me. What you see is the compassion, the love of Jesus for this rich young man. Sure, he rebuked him. He said, hey, go get rid of all your stuff. Your hope is in the wrong thing. Like, Jesus challenged what, was, what was he was holding most dear. But look, even in this rebuke, even in this, this challenge, even in this call to get rid of his stuff, knowing that, hey, this is out of love, because he loved it, because he wanted him to love what was all, the only thing that would ever fulfill him. He's calling his man to get rid of all that stuff and love what is most valuable, which was Jesus. Like Jesus knew that only he was going to be able to satisfy. Like whether or not you have money, whether or not you have earthly riches, whether or not you have stuff, like Jesus knows that you're not going to be satisfied in your plenty or in your nothing. You're not going to be satisfied until you're satisfied in Jesus. Like Jesus came for the rich. He loved them. 
and desire to show where real satisfaction could be found. The poor, the disabled, the criminal, the rich, but also the religious. Like, I, I really struggle because through all these different groups, like, you see different examples in Scripture of Jesus coming to them and then and salvation coming near. But this, this, the religious, it's a, the, the Pharisee, the scribe, that's, it, that's harder because you see they're the ones that have the, the highest walls, the highest self-righteousness. They loved God the most. Quote. They had it all figured out. And I really, you, I may have missed something. I claim far from perfection on like understanding the whole scripture in and out. But I only remember one place in the entire New Testament where a Pharisee is changed, where Pharisee is, is saved, given new life. Saul, right? Paul. And what it takes is Jesus coming, knocking him off, knocking him to the ground, giving him brand new life and changing the course of his life. And like throughout the book of Acts, we see this whole story play out of Jesus coming to someone who would say, I was, I was the best of the best. Paul said, I, I had it all figured out. I came from the right line. I, 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 had, I was the Pharisee among Pharisees. He was ravaging the church. He was doing things all for the name of God. But yet Jesus came to him. And Jesus saved him. And I think the religious elite look a lot different in our world today. I think it's I think that, that same kind of Pharisee mindset, that same religious mindset can be masked in Sunday morning church. We masked in being at the church every time the doors are open. It can be masked by, by leading all kinds of things within the church and saying, this is making me look better. God's going to love me more. But even the religious, even those that thought they were doing this by themselves, even those who thought they were obeying every law, that they were being obedient enough, Jesus came to save them. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not poor. I'm not rich. I'm not disabled. I'm not a criminal. I don't think I'm relying on religion. But like all through scripture goes on and on and on. The people that Jesus came for. And a lot of what we've been talking about is this combination of the physical situations we may find ourselves in and then the sin in our hearts. Like, being poor does not make you a sinner. Being rich does not make you a sinner. Being disabled does not make you a sinner. Like, that's, that's not at all my point. But Jesus came ultimately not to heal our physical disease, our physical ailments, save us from our physical situations, but he came to save sinners who were undeserving of salvation. 
came to bring his salvation near. Just whether or not you can quote, identify with any of those groups we talked about, we can all identify as a sinner, fallen short throughout our entire lives. Like we can continue to walk through the New Testament and say, look at Zacchaeus. Like Jesus came to save greedy sinners. We could look at David in 2 Samuel, that Jesus came to save sexual sinners. We could look at Thomas in John 20 and say, Jesus came to save doubting sinners. Like the list goes on and on and on. But Jesus didn't just come for the rich. He didn't just come for the poor. He didn't just come for the greedy sinners, the sexual sinners, the doubting sinners. Like, Jesus came to bring salvation to sinners. Where they are. And like, Jesus does this. Go into Philippians 2. Stepped out of heaven. Became like us. Humbled himself. So that you and I might be reconciled to God. Brought back into his family into communion with our Heavenly Father. Like, he, hear this. In a world that seems to be living in fear, in a world that seems to be shrinking back, in a world that is freaking out a little bit at the moment, in a world that is just marred by sin and shame, the same Jesus is our hope. Our only hope. Like you may identify with any number of, of the different people that Jesus came for. You may identify with the poor, the disabled, the criminal, the rich, the religious. You may know that I struggle with greed like Zacchaeus. I doubt like Thomas. I struggle with lust and immorality just like King David. Like, you, we know our sin. I know my sin. I know my struggles. I know my unworthiness. But Jesus Christ came into this world and died on a cross for those sins. Those sins that you know. Like, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter your mistakes. Doesn't matter how far you've run. Doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. Doesn't matter how long you've doubted or how long you've rebelled. But Jesus came for you with hope. Isaiah 46, 12 through 13. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness. I bring, my, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion. For Israel, my glory. you who are far from righteousness, you who are stubborn, 
Guys, we know our sin. Like, we've all fallen short. But Jesus has come to meet us where we are and calling us to hope in something so much greater, so much better, so much more glorious, and a hope that this world cannot offer provides a hope that can calm the fear that this world cannot calm. No leader who gets up in front of a TV camera can calm the fear like Jesus can. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, because hope is near. It has been brought near. Let's pray.